what we've discovered over many years is that a practice doesn't achieve the success it needs to if the people aren't congruent, they're not motivated, they're not excited about what they're doing. From Spa Dameron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney. All right, welcome back to the Prosperous Doc Podcast. My name is Shane Tenney, and I'm glad to have uh, you with us for today's conversation. I'm going to kick it off with a question to you. If you had to guess what factor is most important to people looking for a job, looking to join your business, your practice, what do you think it would be? If you're guessing money, bonuses, salary benefits, you're kind of on the wrong track, at least according to the research. In 2021, Glassdoor came out with a research survey that found that a company's culture is more important to job seekers than pay or benefits. The survey revealed that over three quarters of the people who responded said they would consider a company's culture before deciding whether to even apply there. Which brings up a good question. How do you get intentional about your culture? Well, for starters, you could call my guest today. Tom Loblein is president and CEO of Healthcare Management Consultants and the dental CFO, a practice consulting firm that works to ensure the finances of medical and dental practices are healthy. But as a visionary, about 10 years ago, he began to see the tremendous impact culture has on successful organizations. And he realized a company's culture goes hand in hand with their results. Culture is his passion. And Tom speaks, coaches, writes about it. He leads medical and dental practice owners in techniques to make culture a priority. And lucky for you and me, he's here with us today. Tom, thanks so much for joining me on the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Shane. Thank you. Well, we've got a lot of meat on this bone. And and so I think we ought to just start out. When did you come to realize the importance a company's culture plays in its overall success? Well, you know, it's interesting as we have been working with uh, medical groups and dental groups for many, many years, over 50 some years. I've been in the business for 30 years. It's come to our attention that our medical practices and dental practices, they don't achieve all the success that they possibly could. You know, years ago, it was a simple process. There were very little insurances involved. You just Every year, you just raised your fees a little bit, gave your staff a raise, and everything was hunky-dory. But there's so many complexities now, and there's so much needed to be done by the employees in the practices themselves. We've And the, the fact that this COVID came about recently that in six, and put a big emphasis on it, that it's hard to hire people. I mean, dentists today can't even hire a hygienist. It's hard to find a hygienist. But what we've discovered over many years is that a practice doesn't achieve the success it needs to if the people aren't congruent, they're not motivated, they're not excited about what they're doing. And we've discovered there's a real science to it, Shane, and it can be done right. And delineated here is that there's a difference between having smart practices and healthy practices. 
What's now, the difference? It sounds like they'd be the same thing. It, it does. We have been focused on the smart side for years as management consultants. We have been working with practices to make sure that they are making wise business decisions, good strategic planning moves. They make wise choices. And we've done a lot of that. But we realize at the end of the day, even if they've done that, if they don't have a healthy organization, they're going to have some turnover and things are going to start falling apart. And they can go from having a very successful practice to a mediocre practice in a year or less if they don't have a healthy organization. So we've recognized that there's a big difference between being smart and healthy. Let's unpack this a little bit. So a difference between having a smart practice and a healthy practice, I guess by extension, you can have a smart practice that in some respects looks healthy, but isn't. Are there common symptoms of a practice with an unhealthy culture? Yes. And that that healthy, when we talk about healthy, we're not talking about your, your physical health. We're talking about organizational health. Yeah. We're talking about, are the employees motivated? Do they enjoy being there? Are they engaged? Are they accountable? Um, and so that's what we mean by healthy organization. Now, when, when employees are coming into an organization, we recognize over the time that we've been working with them, with our um, clients, that you've got to be able to attract really good talent. And that talent today is, as you mentioned in your in the beginning of the podcast, they're looking for more than just a paycheck. And it's so critical today to establish that and have an organization where people really want to come and work. You know, we've, we've recognized in our research over the years, there are three main uh, drivers that attract top talent in an organization. And the first is leadership. They want a good boss to work for. They don't want a jerk. And it's interesting when we talk to practices about this and we, and we give talks on this, we tell our um, dental practice owners or medical practice owners, first thing is just don't be a jerk. I mean, if you just don't be a jerk, you can solve a lot of problems <laughs> at the first. And so that's a big part of it. The second part is these top talent, they're looking for to work for something bigger than themselves. They want to see something with vision and they want to be part of something like that. Um, and then the, the third thing is they want they want a brighter future. They want to know they can grow. They want a place where they they know they can grow in their professional life. And there's a lot to all of that. And in a, you know, a, a small medical or dental practice, it's not like a big corporate hospital system where you've got multiple layers, you can map out your whole career. So it creates a really unique challenge for those individual practice owners as leaders. How do you motivate them and create an entity or an organization, a culture that wants them to stay? They yeah, can be done. So, so, so important. Now, the, I think there's a, a saying out there that stuff rolls downhill. And mm -hmm. so let's start with your first point about leadership, because mm -hmm. the the business owners, uh, the the entrepreneurs, the 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 dentists, the physicians that that uh, create these practices have spent years, decades uh, learning how to be experts at their craft. Yes. And there's usually no training 
on how to be a good leader. And, and that can come as an unwelcome surprise to some. Uh, and so for those in, in the majority who aren't born with innate skills around leadership, where can they start? Or where do you start when you're working with, as an example, a, a dentist that has a, a good thriving practice, but just isn't the kind of leader or is seeing the impact and the side effects of being a weak leader in the form of turnover, griping, complaining, those sorts of things. And that's a great question. What we do is we start with that practice owner and help them realize, change their mindset a little bit, that they're, they're not a practitioner. They're a leader. And a lot of times they're running businesses that are multi-million dollar businesses. And, and you're right, they don't get the training. What we do initially is we help them become self-aware. We have a number of assessments we take them through and we sit down with them and spend time helping them understand who they are, how to, and more important than that, how do they come across to people and what are their strengths? And then through that, we're help, we help them understand their communication style and how they come across. So it's it's really truly a mindset, and there's a gazillion things on leadership out there that you can you can take. There's a lot of leadership coaches. There's there's a lot of training that you can go to. But the biggest thing we help our practitioners understand, and the the business owners know, is that at the end of the day, if if you're a dentist, it doesn't. I'm hesitant to say this, but it doesn't really matter how good a crown you put on a patient because the patient doesn't really know if your crown's better than the guy down the street. But the patient does know how he felt or she felt when they came into your office. Was the front desk nice to them? When they made the initial call, were they greeted carefully? Was the hygienist kind to them? And were they in pain or not? So really, the practice owner, what we try to help them understand is out of everything they do in the practice that day, the part that they do has very little impact on their success. <laughs> very little impact because somebody's got to collect the money. Somebody's got to bill it. Somebody has to greet the patient. Somebody has to assist you as the practitioner. I mean, there, it just goes on and on. So there's so many things involved, and that's where the leadership comes because your ability to motivate those people, to engage those people, all of those team members reflects on you as a leader. And if you can leverage that, well, then you got it because that's where your greatest strength is. Yeah, a little a little dose of honesty about your own contribution and, and, and humility can go a long way to mm -hmm. becoming the type of leader that's going to create the culture you want. Now, you mentioned two other things or places to start, and, and, and I want to just unpack those a little bit. People want to work for a team that has a bigger vision. Right. Uh, how do you do that? I thought good crowns and a fast schedule was the vision. It isn't the vision. It may be the practitioner's original vision. And we used to tell the um, uh, students at UNC uh, when we'd speak to them, you know, it really, at the end of the day, uh, why did you come into practice in the first place? And they say, well, you know, we want to uh, make people more healthy and all. And, and at the end of the day, you still have to make a profit. So regardless of how much you want to do, if you haven't engaged all of your team members to understand why you're in this in, in the beginning, then it's going to be hard to turn a profit. 
because you're going to have turnover. You're going to have people coming and going. So this vision is so critical, Shane. We spend time with the leader, helping them understand why did they go into business in the first place? Why? What is their why? And there's a lot out there with Simon Sinek and, and begin with why. But we really do try to drill down with them, help them understanding why do they get up in the morning and come to work? Because that's important. If they could connect that to why they're in business, then they can begin to cast a vision. And that vision is so critical because, as we said earlier, the the new top talent today, they want to be something, be part of something bigger than themselves. Let me give you an example, a story. I used to volunteer with a large church, and I was a volunteer leader, and uh, that we met in a high school. And so you had to set it up as a church, and you had to break it down at the end of the day, and went through two services. And so these volunteers would come in on Sunday morning at six o'clock in the morning, and they would go until two o'clock by the time we tore everything down. And now for you mathematicians out there, that's an eight hour day. And I share, well, how much did they get paid? Zero. They didn't get paid a dime. Were they motivated to be there? And I can tell you without a doubt, they were motivated. And you say, Tom, how is that? How can somebody come give eight hours of their weekend for free? It's because they believed that they were part of something bigger than themselves. They believed the part they were playing, whether it was parking in the parking lot or greeting or whatever, that they were changing a life. They truly believed it and they bought into it. And so that made a difference. And so so it comes down to if you've got a, a team member in your practice, how do you engage them you know they're not going to work for free, but how, what is it that vision? And we have some dental clients that believe, truly believe that they are changing lives by giving a smile. Improving a smile changes a life. So if you can tap into that, you know, none of us are solving world hunger and none of us are digging wells in Africa, but we truly are making a difference in people's lives at some point. So that's what's important is you've got to be able to share your specific why in your practice and help people understand that. And then they can buy into it. So critical. And and then touch for a minute on your, your third point of view is kind of starting blocks. And that is just the ability to grow in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a small, any small business, you don't have eight layers of middle management to promote people through. And so how do you create an environment where people feel like they're growing? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the, the big part of that is making sure that you've got them in the right spot. For one thing, because one of the things that that employees want to be able to do and good team members be able to grow is they're going to grow much faster if they're doing things that are in line with their strengths. And so we use various assessments for that. But we believe that you put people and you've heard you got to get the right people on the bus. But it's so critical also to get the right people in the right seats on the bus. And that's just so important. And we believe that you help people win at work and you start helping people win at work by putting them in the right seats, making sure you've got them aligned correctly with the work they're doing. And we are big, big proponents of additional education with employees, um, team members, getting helping them to grow professionally. And encouraging that, encouraging additional courses, 
and, and allow them to grow because at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to keep everybody for a 30-year career and you can't sign them up for a life. But it's interesting, good employees may stay longer than you ever believe they would. If they're treated well, they've got freedom and they've got ability to grow and they feel like they're they're accomplishing something. And uh, we'll get into that a little more. And that's with core values, which is so important. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But that's a big part of enabling them to grow. And they feel like that they are able to do that. And they're going to be able to win a lot more than before. I think this is such a great example you give of just building into your people. And uh, Tom, you know that I'm a big fan of coaching and have um, mm-hmm. been a participant in some great coaching programs over the years. And I remember being in a class once. And they were talking about this very concept of just building into your people. And one of the um, business owners in there said, well, we um, generally haven't been a big fan of that because it costs so much money. It takes people out of the office to do the class or the training or whatever. And then, you know, our experience is you just spend a couple of years pouring all this money and education into their brains and then they become so valuable, they leave and go somewhere else. And the, the coach at the front of the class, he said, well, what's the alternative? Don't pour into them, keep them dumb, stupid, and limited in their authority, and then they'll stay. That sounds more expensive. <laughs> I, I thought turning the question around like that was was kind of a thoughtful way of approaching the whole topic. That's exactly right. And it's interesting. I read a story about this business owner who owned a coffee shop and, and he hired high school kids. Well, he knew these kids aren't going to stay for a career. They're just there for a summer job. And so his whole business model was built around turnover. But his whole thing was make them better. And what attracted good high school students to him, the top ones, is that he was educating them, teaching them some life skills so that when they left, which he knew they would, they would be better off than when they started. And we have that approach in our company as well. I mean, we we tell every employee we hire that, We'd like for you here to be here a, a long time, but we know that you may not. But our goal is when you leave here, you're a lot better than when you started. And mm-hmm. we've poured into you in a lot of different ways. So, yes. Great point. Very important. Yeah, it's, um, it is so important. I want to pause for a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about how you find good people. Do you understand your personal cash flow? You know the combination of your monthly income and monthly expenses. Do you ever think about how much money you made last year and wonder, where did it all go? Understanding where your money goes today is essential to creating an actionable plan to achieve your financial goals for tomorrow. Take control of your finances by downloading the free personal cash flow worksheet. The Prosperous Doc podcast is underwritten by the financial planning firm of Spa Dameron Tenney. And you can download this free personal cash flow worksheet at sdtplanning.com and click on financial resources. Don't let another month of money confusion go by when you have access to free help. Again, the website is sdtplanning.com. Click on financial resources to download the free personal cash flow worksheet. All right. So, Tom, we were talking before the break just about culture, about some of the starting points for leadership and building a bigger vision. But 
the unemployment rate right now is rock bottom. It's hard to find good people. I guess that's one of the thesis of the whole conversation here is, you know, I not only need to find people, I want to find and need to find good people because let's face it, medical practices, dental practices, a lot of the businesses that we're in are high-end businesses. Talk a little bit about hiring and the impact that culture has in finding top talent. Sure, Shane. It, this is something that I wish every practice could get because I would say most practices struggle with hiring correctly because most people do is they get the interviewee on the other side of the table. What's, look at your resume. Okay, have you have you been a high, uh, uh, medical assistant? Okay, great. Where? Okay, you're hired. You got the skills. We'll hire you. Big mistake. Big mistake. Because as I said before, if you have an unhealthy practice, which means you've got the wrong team members, you got them in the wrong seats, or you have the wrong uh, members in the first place, you're going to have high turnover. And what people don't understand is turnover is expensive. It is incredibly expensive. Some estimates or that it costs for key employees, it could be 50 to 70% of their salary is the cost of turnover. By the time you lose them, you've got other people working overtime to try to fill in, or you're not getting work done. You, you pay to try to recruit somebody else. I mean, it's just massively expensive. So any work you can do on the other end to keep them is certainly worthwhile. But let's talk about how do we hire there are three parts of the mind. We use a, an assessment, a number of assessments, but we share that top talent, as I, sh I share what they were looking for in the, in the first part of this podcast, we talked about the three things they're looking for. But when you're looking at talent and interviewing them, you've got to recognize each person you're interviewing has three parts of their mind. There's the cognitive part of their mind. That's how they, how smart they are. And guys, you can get IQ tests, you can measure them. It's their skill sets. You know, if you're hiring a nurse, you know, she's got to pass the boards. You hire an associate dentist, they've got to pass the board. So there are things that you can measure to make sure that they're they're able to do it. And sometimes you do a working interview to see if they know what they're doing. So you you measure that. So they've got a cognitive part. The second part of their mind is affective part of their mind, and that is their personality. It's their individual value system. And that's where it really becomes important as a practice that you already have in store and in, in mind, what is your core values? What is it that you stand for as a, as a business? What is it that holds everybody together in that culture? What is that culture? Because when you're interviewing, you've got to decide, okay, does this person match yours? You know, it's interesting, years ago, I went to Zappos in Las Vegas and toured their facility. You know, Tony Shea wrote his famous book. I forget the name of it, Happiness. But anyway, it was it was neat. And, and we, what we discovered is in their practice, in their interviews, 100% of their questions were on culture. Do you fit our culture? Nothing else. Because they believe they could train everything else. 100% of culture. So we believe that practices ought to take a little bit from that is that it truly is a connection. Does this team member match your value system? Because if they don't, you don't hire them. So that's, and, and they've got uh, their personality. Do they jive with your 
culture. So that's the second part of the mind, the affective part of the mind. The third part of the mind is the cognitive part of the mind, and that is how they go about working. How do they go about problem solving? And, you know, we can actually measure this, and we use an assessment. I know you're familiar with, Shane, with Colby, and we're certified Colby consultants, and we use that a lot. Because that's the science, the magic of helping determine is if a person's in the right seat. I learned about this assessment years ago. I was in a, a dental practice and I was talking to the dentist. We were in his break room and there were a bunch of these fancy, colorful charts up on the wall. And I said, what are those? He says, oh, that's a game changer, Tom. And I said, really? Well, tell me about this. He says, yeah, he says a game changer. He says, I had two employees. I was getting ready to fire because they just were not performing. And I learned about this assessment. So I gave it to my whole team. And after analyzing, I realized I had two of them in the wrong seats. So I moved their seats. And, you know, those two became two of my best employees. And kind of going back to what I said before, helping them win at work, you put them in the right seats and you know how they operate. And through this assessment, we can do what's called a right fit and know whether uh, get a grade from A to D, whether they're a good fit for that role. So hiring... the comes into this hiring is a very scientific thing and it encompasses three different things that you have to think through when you're looking at them, not just the skills because you can train the skills but you can't train their value system and and how do you get is you get get your organization together or or you obviously uh, people listening to this that run their own business have an organization together hopefully everybody's in the right seat on the bus but some may be some may not be in the end, though, we've got to become aware of our core values and kind of get everybody on board with this culture and this vision. How do you get everybody on board? How do you start to get this to, to leak through the Kool-Aid, so to speak? That's a great question. And, and the key here is, and when you say core values are so important, but core values are not something you just grab out of thin air that sound good and you put them up on the, on the board in your office. And there was a company years ago that did this, and they had some great core values, integrity, and and I could I don't have them in front of me, so I can't write them off, but great core values. And every new team member had to sign off they read the core values. The name of the company was called Enron. I don't know if you remember them, but so the point is core values mean nothing unless they're truly of you. They're truly unique to you. And, and we have a process with our clients that we go through to develop these core values. And those core values are inherent. We use some of our great team members, you know, team members that, gosh, if they were to leave, you would just cry because they are that good and they just get it. And I use that term a lot, get it. And, you know, does that employee really get it? And what I mean that is, do they really get the culture? Are they part of that culture? They buy into what we're all about as an organization. And we have a process where we use those top employees to help develop what those core values that you already have, but you may not realize it. And then that's what we use as core values. And then what makes it so interesting, Shane, is going back to leadership, it makes your leadership a lot easier because let's say Sally at the front desk says something to a patient that's not good, and the patient gets upset. Well, you could go up and say, Sally, I didn't like what you said to that patient. I'm going to write you up or whatever it is. But if you've got core values, it's easy to go up and say, Sally, was that core value, that, that words that you just said to that patient, is that aligned with our core value of 
X or our core value of Y. And it takes the pressure off because it's self-policing. Everybody buys into it and then you hire to that. And what ends up happening, Shane, is that you end up firing over it more than anything else. You end up letting people go because they don't get the core value. They're not part of the core value. And, uh, you know, you attract really good talent. They want to be surrounded by good talent and they buy and they get somebody that doesn't, they're not going to want to stick around. Yeah. There's a little self pruning that takes place amongst the team, huh? Yes. Yes. Now, Tom, uh, you wrote a blog last year with uh, what I thought was such a catchy title called uh, what, what your team needs is a good fight. It seems kind of counterintuitive. And so I got to ask you about it. What in the world were you thinking? Yeah. What every team needs is a good fight is truly something that every organization needs to understand. Because what I mean by that is you need to be able to have the honesty and feel like the safety and security to bring something up with your partners. And what I mean, a lot of this has to take place in in a practice. Let's say you've got four or five medical partners. You've got to be able to fight well. Because otherwise, you don't feel free to bring up something that's important that you feel like is important and that could make a big difference in the practice. But if somebody's constantly beating it down or there's somebody very dominant there, maybe maybe you're the one that's dominant (laughs) and you don't let other conversation come about. It can really thwart things. I'll give you an example, a personal example in our company. We're all different. We've, We've got four partners. And uh, we always had a great, we, we shared integrity and all those things and respected each other. But there were times that sometimes it would get irritating because I may do something and they get frustrated. Or they would do something. I get a little frustrated until we really learned about certain assessments. I mentioned the Colby. That was a game changer for us. And we did the Colby. We did the DISC. We did strength finders. We did a bunch of them. But what it did, Shane, was it allowed all of us to understand each other at a much deeper level. It's like taking an x-ray of everybody of how they're going to act, how they're going to operate and make decisions. And what it did, it took the pressure off. And now, sometimes if I don't act a certain way, I get called out on it because they'll say, Tom, you got a strength here. Let's hear it. We want you to push forward. And, and now we're able to fight really well because we have a deep understanding and a deep respect for each other's strengths and what they bring to the table. And we recognize just because somebody does something different than us doesn't mean it's worse or it's better. It's just different. And they have different strengths. And so it's helped us immensely. So we have some good fights and it's fun because we feel understanding and, you know, it's, it's just it, it's healthy. But unpack it for a minute. What, how would you, um, given the experience you have both within your own business and then experience working with other groups, I'm thinking a lot of medical practices where you have multiple owners and decision by democracy and things like that. Uh, what are the marks of a destructive fight versus a constructive fight? A destructive fight is something where it's about yourself and the team is not the main emphasis. The organization isn't the emphasis. It's just a personality thing. Or it could be, you know, if if somebody felt disrespected, then that can trigger it as well. A good, healthy fight is where 
people are understood, people are respected for their points of view, and it's put on the table. And however your organization chooses to move forward with that, then when you walk out, it's done. It's put on the table. There's no talk in the parking lot about it. It's it's done. It's all put on the table, and it makes for a just an incredibly healthy organization when you're able to do that. That's super. Tom, for somebody listening to this, thinks, you know, I've been in practice five years, 10 years, 20 years, and this is so true. I've known it in my gut. I'm now hearing it with my ears. Where do I start? What's your suggestion? The, call us. <laughs> First <laughs> okay. thing is... Uh, that's uh, that's one thing, but but and that's kind of funny, but but truly, you need to start looking at yourself and re- recognizing that your practice can be incredibly valuable and attract good talent. And if uh, the big thing is, if you want to attract some of the top talent, you've got to be a practice that people want to be part of, that want to attract that, and it breeds. And then you get good people; they tell other people about it. And it's that is absolutely critical to be the organization that you want to attract good talent to. Are there any books or podcasts that in particular jump out to your mind as being just more more information or well on the fighting fair and all Patrick Lincioni has some great books as a leader, as a, a practice leader, that's a great. Uh, library to start reading some of Patrick Lincioni's work is just incredible. You know, one of the things that we do when we help an organization is we start with a cultural assessment. And by that, we go in and actually interview every single employee. Takes about 12 to 15 minutes max. And what's interesting, Shane, is that for the first time, in some of these employees' lives, somebody's actually asking them their opinion. You know, one of the you know we have three simple questions we ask them, and they're very, very easy. There's nothing hard about it, but they feel listened to, and it's magical. It's far, it's probably one of the most magical things we do. It's so simple, but it's magical we do, and um, and we're able to provide feedback to that owner. Now we don't tell them Sally said this or Jane said this or Bill said this. It's just they get the gist of it, but we can learn in a short amount of time if there's a healthy culture going on there or there's not a healthy culture. So that's one of the first things we do. And I would just, you know, at the end of the day, Shane, life is short. And we share this with our team. At the end of the day, everybody wants to come in and enjoy what they do. Work's a good thing, but it doesn't have to be hard. And you can do it with people you enjoy because your team members are spending more hours during the working day with you than they are with their families. So you ought to make it count. And you owe it to them as a leader. You owe it to them as a practice owner to understand that. And it can be so much better. It's If you want your team members to be engaged, to be fully accountable and love what they do, there's a way to do that. And you just have to take the steps in understanding and understand it and make it happen. I think uh, you brought up some great points here. And and perhaps the thing that I hear most from just your comments there is a great starting point other than reading or podcasting. A great starting point is to listen. Talk to your employees, 
ask them what they think about the culture. And you'll start getting some feedback that uh, you can begin to do something about. So that's a, a great point. Um, Tom, before we wrap up, I love to ask this question to all my guests. You've accomplished so much in your life. I didn't even talk about your early career uh, in the Marine Corps or any of those things, but you've you've built a great organization. You've worked with so many uh, medical and dental professionals around the country over the last 30 years. And I know you haven't done it alone. You've got a great team around you. But my question is, is there someone that comes to your mind that you'd like to give a shout out to? Um, someone whose shoulders you're standing on the top of to be where you are today, personally, professionally. Yes. And I, I would say that person is Dan Dagenhart. He's no longer with us. He's passed away. But he um, founded our firm back in 1966. And when I was a young Marine Corps officer looking to get out, he gave me an opportunity. And he shared with me, he said, listen, I don't know if this is what you want. Why don't you come spend three or four days with me? Go on the road with me. See if it's what you want to do. and then." then you can decide. And, and I did that and rode with him after that for many, many months to clients. And he mentored me, trained me. And biggest thing, Shane, is he gave me the opportunity to own this company with, with some wonderful partners. And it's just great. And it's just been fantastic. And I, I owe so much to him. Well, then that's a great way to go out with a shout out to the legacy of Dan Dagenhart. Um, Tom Lobline, thanks so much for being with me this afternoon. Uh, great to be here. Thank you, Shane. And thank you for joining us for this uh, conversation on the Prosperous Doc podcast. Um, welcome your thoughts, feedback, suggestions. You can email me directly. It's Shane at whitecoatwell.com. And if you have a minute, we'd welcome your reviews on iTunes or Google Play. Um, they really help the search results for other people looking for conversations just like this one. Thanks. We'll see you back here next time. This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Dameron Tenney has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.